0: I'm Zoe Bisping, and this is the Full Bloom Podcast, where we're nurturing a more embodied and inclusive next generation. Everyone seems to have a hot take about New Year's resolutions. I'm not the biggest fan of the ones that involve unrealistic goal setting that ultimately sets us up to feel like a failure, but in many ways, the beginning of a new year does bring a certain flavor of inspiration for creating new habits, new practices, new intentions, and for some people, a readiness to embark on therapeutic relationships to assist in those efforts. While my focus at Full Bloom is helping folks elevate their nurturing practices for the benefit of the next generation, now more than ever, as we march on into this third year of what feels like a never-ending pandemic, attending to ourselves is crucial. A peaceful relationship with body and food, in my opinion, is a basic human right. And yet, so many of us struggle to exercise that right, even those of us who are doing everything we can to promote embodiment and a peaceful relationship with food for our kids. So, today I'm doing something a little different. I'm bringing you into my consultation room and partnering with one of my favorite dietitians, Kimmy Singh, to give you a taste of what it looks like when a body positive parent reaches out to a body positive therapist. Who reaches out to a body positive dietitian to help that body positive parent increase body positivity for themselves? I know why I want to partner with you for this, Kimmy. But mm-hmm. tell us like, who you are and and why I'm calling you to yeah. help me think about this case.
1: Great. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me again. And yeah, I'm a dietitian, also like a nutritionist here in New York City. And I work a lot with folks that are just trying to feel more at peace in their bodies and maybe feel a bit more centered in their relationship with food. They don't want to go on diets, but they also don't necessarily know how to step away from diets. And yeah. And I also specialize in working with folks with PCOS, folks that might either have full-blown eating disorders or might just feel confused in how their relationship with food fits into their life. Yeah. I think that kind of hits the highlights. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I love, I love collaborating with you in real life. And I think that my clinical practice is very similar to yours in that I do work with folks that are struggling with acute eating disorders, with chronic eating disorders, with subclinical eating disorders, and also people that are just wanting to feel better in their bodies and want to feel better in their relationship to food and often have kids and are really fueled by wanting to model better for their kids, wanting to model more body peace and food peace for their kids. I think that there's a quite a compatibility there in our type of folks we work with and our approach. And so today I want to bring someone to you, so to speak. So, okay, I'm going to call her Matilda. And I was telling you a little bit about her. So Matilda, let's say she's in her 40s. She discovered the Full Bloom Project, listens to the podcast, follows the Instagram and has also gotten into, and I know lots of your clients have done this, gotten into the sort of body positive inspiration that exists on Instagram and exists on TikTok and is following dietitians the right kind of dietitians the anti diet dietitians and is following accounts that allow her to see bigger bodies and body diversity she's really listening to the advice that's out there right and the extent of her support right now is the full bloom podcast and maybe food psych cuz she heard about that and these instagram accounts but she's noticing that she's sort of stuck like she gets it intellectually and she's really working hard to relate to food and quit body talk and doing the things to really help prime her environment for her kids so that they can really have a chance to grow up more embodied and and hopefully she's raising intuitive eaters like she's sort of doing what she needs to do there but she's sitting there saying i get it but i'm still struggling Like, I feel like I'm experimenting Mm -hmm. with what I think is food freedom, but then I'm still feeling like guilt and shame. And and maybe I think I am actually eating too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but like, I can't quite stop. I'm eating pints of ice cream sometimes. And like, I'm trying not to hate myself for it, but I feel horrible. And then actually I kind of have like diarrhea too, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. and that can't be right. So I think that, Matilda is really like wondering, do I need more help than what I'm getting? Because I'm not quite feeling at peace in my body. Intellectually, I get it, but I'm not there. And I'm eating in a more liberalized way. Like I don't feel like I'm dieting anymore, but this doesn't quite feel like what I think intuitive eating is. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how to get from where I am to what I would hope intuitive eating is. So I think this is where Matilda is when she kind of calls me and then where she is when I call you and I say to you, mm-hmm. where would you begin with her with your first session? And let's talk about how we want to set treatment up for Matilda.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. So Matilda is someone that I, I work with all the time and Matilda's at this place where she learned about body positivity. And it sounds like she knows this is the way I want to live. Like this really encompasses my values and she understands it really well. And she also was drawn to it because she wants to feel good about her relationship with food and how she's feeling in her body. And she calls you, it sounds like, because she's stuck in that she's not feeling good. It's not really rolling out the way she thought it would. She's not maybe living the life she sees people living on TikTok and it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel as warm and fuzzy as she thought it would. And so what I would sort of bring to Matilda is, you know, sometimes when we're exploring our relationship with food, we're exploring this piece around permission and it's such an important piece and it's one that I feel like physically you can be eating the foods that you enjoy and sometimes intellectually or emotionally there can still be some guilt going on so it might feel like Matilda might say you know I'm not restricting at all like I have what I want and it's great and i And this is where I might ask Matilda you know, you might not be physically restricting, but like, is there some guilt coming in after? Are you still feeling some worries about weight gain? Are you still feeling really upset with how fat phobia might be affecting your life? Because sometimes those subtle things that come that might feel really subtle are actually really affecting someone's relationship with food in a much deeper way, where they're feeling like, okay, you know, I'm having this ice cream or I'm having this pad thai or whatever else, and I'm having permission, but I'm also feeling really guilty after. I find it really hard to self-regulate when I'm having it. And sometimes I explain to folks that, you know, sometimes when we're eating these foods, because we feel like it's maybe what we were to before, it's really important to have the permission, but it's also really important to listen to our bodies. And, you know, if, if Matilda is not feeling so good with how much she's having, it sounds like her body is telling something loud and clear. So I would kind of remind her that, you know, she did the great first step by reaching out to you and then by getting connected with me. And so it sounds like the next step is to have a bit more individualized support and something to support her relationship with the food and body in a bit of a deeper way. Is that what you would agree?
0: I would totally agree. And, and I would totally start by saying this is really... Wonderful that you're here and that you're willing and able to invest in yourself in this way. I think, as a parent myself, I know that it's really easy to just prioritize what they need and Mm -hmm. forget that what our kids need is actually for us to get our needs met first so that then we can fully meet their needs. Now, I mean, obviously in reality, this is, <laughs> I ate this morning for breakfast. like <laughs> My daughter's <laughs> leftover oatmeal with her baby spoon <laughs> while the avocado sat next to the bowl. <laughs> I was thinking I'd make this avocado toast and ran out of time. And so yeah. thank goodness for, for little bites like that. But, but in reality, as much oxygen we can put on ourselves the better, because then we can actually put the oxygen mask on our kids. So I'd be with you there. And I think what I would want to start with Matilda is pull a little bit from CBTE and do a kind of conceptualization of all of this. So i want to understand where she is in that kind of drive for thinness or drive for some kind of body modification. Like what is it, what's the difference between where she's starting today, the body she's got and how she feels about it. What's the gap between that and the body she thinks she's supposed to have or Mm -hmm. wants to have or needs to have. And I would really want to try to understand how large that looms in her life because, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious if you feel the same way, but I find that folks that have real full-blown eating disorders, this is very clear. This is the kind of hallmark of the disorder, that there is a preoccupation and an over with shape, weight, and their control. And that can be the case for someone in a very large body, someone in an absolutely malnourished body across the board. But I would really want to check in with Matilda because even if she's not presenting with a full-blown eating disorder, I would want to see how much are you self-evaluating based on your shape and weight Mm -hmm. and start a conceptualization there to see how then that drives her eating behavior or drives what she thinks her quote eating behavior should look like. And then does any sort of guilt eating flow from there. And I Mm -hmm. would want to see, is there any kind of maintaining mechanism that we need to be aware of? So I would be doing that with her. And then I'd be calling you, Kimmy, to say, we did the conceptualization. It looks like she is pretty self-evaluated with weight and shape and she gets it. She gets how then that kind of drops down into what she thinks she should be eating. Mm -hmm. And then when she ends up eating in a way that's not what she thinks she should be eating, there's this guilt shame thing that flows. Sometimes it looks maybe like a little bingy. sometimes it really doesn't, but no matter what she ends up feeling out of control. And then that goes right back to the top of the the conceptualization, right? Where she's extra preoccupied with her shape and weight again. And then the kind of cycle yes. still goes. And I would yeah. say that to you. And then wh- what would you do with what I... Oh my gosh.
1: I love this. I feel like this would set the most beautiful foundation for Matilda and I to really examine if she is meeting her needs nutritionally. So this is the case where, like I said, like Matilda will probably say, I'm definitely not restricting. I'm definitely eating enough. Sometimes I feel like I'm eating past fullness. And this is where I imagine that Matilda might be going for long periods of time and not really eating complete meals or snacks. And then Matilda might be feeling a bit confused in that, you know, she might be feeling like she should be eating one way, like you mentioned. So she might be avoiding eating because she doesn't really feel like eating, I don't know, something that doesn't, that might feel a bit diety that she's feeling pressure to eat. So then Matilda might be get, finding herself getting super hungry and then she's eating maybe like pints of ice cream and there's nothing wrong with eating ice cream. It's just, it sounds like Matilda is not even enjoying it anymore. And so she might be eating to a place where she's not feeling so good and then she's feeling sick and she's experiencing diarrhea. So it sounds like she's kind of found herself in this, maybe in like a binge restrict cycle or like a restrict binge light cycle where it might be more of eating past fullness and not really feel feeling connected or passionate about the way she's nourishing herself. And so I would focus on making sure Matilda's really meeting her needs not engaging in that maybe like semi-restrictive cycle. And then from there, see how she feels differently when meeting her needs and also how she might feel better connected to her hunger and fullness when she's eating. And she's also feeling a bit safer in her body while eating.
0: I really want us to talk about that because I think that conceptualizing it as Matilda and I would do and then talking to you about it, I'm imagining we bring that back to her and she's able to then say, oh, you know, I actually don't really pay attention to when I'm eating. I'm thinking personally about my pathetic oatmeal breakfast where Mm. (laughs) that was not a win for me to like not have enough time and just take a few bites of very yummy, but like not Mm. nearly enough. But I was so harried and running to the next thing that, Mm. you know, if we're not paying attention and many of us busy folks aren't. We could get to 12 o'clock, one o'clock and have not actually had enough food, but we're not paying attention to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm going to imagine that Matilda is relating to me in that way and saying, you know, actually maybe Kimmy's right. I didn't actually eat a meal until 2 Mm PM. I think I picked up my kid's oatmeal and then I had a coffee and like, I think I had, I had part of a bagel, but like I was dropping the kids off at the bus and And then I was starving. I think helping her increase her awareness that she isn't doing regular eating. And that would be something that in CBTE, right, we would be introducing anyway, just behaviorally introducing regular eating with with actual kind of timed intervals. And Mm -hmm. that we would be talking, and I want to hear more from you, but we would be talking about this as a foundation Mm -hmm. for so much. And at first, and I know a lot of clients think, well, this feels like a diet to be eating on a schedule. I try to get someone like you to help educate really about why we need to increase structure and regularity at the beginning to ever have a hope to get to this more intuitive eating. Because a lot of people feel like a free-for-all intuitive eating, oh, I grab this, I grab that, is intuitive eating, but it's often not feeling so Mm -hmm. embodied. So if I brought that to you and said, I introduced right, re- I want us to introduce regular eating with Matilda, what would you do with that? And would you agree?
1: Right. Oh my gosh. I would say, Zoe, 110%. Let's go for it. And I suspect that Matilda might have a question that you brought up. She might say, you know, how is this different from a diet? And this is where I would say, Matilda, like we're not putting you on some rigid plan. Regular eating is not rigidity. You're not setting like very specific times. It's more so like, let's find some times of your day where you know you either will be able to take a break or you know that it's going to work with the time that you wake up, that you sleep, that you're picking up your kids and that you know you can get some food in. And so if it feels hard to set specific times, we can discuss time ranges, we can discuss setting alarms or having other ways to remind yourself based on other things that you know you're going to do. And I'm not going to tell you, you can't eat for pleasure at those times. I'm not going to tell you that you need to eat X, Y, Z at those times. Like We're going to discuss what a complete meal looks like and some foods that you enjoy and that you have around or that you can order and that's accessible and ways to get that in. So you're still experiencing pleasure and fulfillment and nourishment at those meals, and then even going back to full circle and looking at how things were before, we're hoping that this would kind of eliminate that experience where maybe you're eating past fullness related to hunger. And then it, then you can maybe have some awareness about what else might be triggering you to eat to a place of discomfort on a super regular basis in a way that doesn't feel good for you. And so it it might help to give more data to you. And so you can maybe explore that in a deeper way, just so you eliminate the hunger piece. Cause it almost doesn't even feel fair or true to say, oh, this is a binge, or this is maybe like lack of self-regulation when it sounds like you're just super hungry. I know you mentioned that Matilda has diarrhea. So I also suspect like the nerdy part of me is saying, you know, I wonder how this might support your gut to have regular um, food coming in just to support your gut health and that healthy bacteria that's living in there. So you to help with digestion.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes, especially if people are just tuning into a podcast or worse, just popping on social media they see these sort of sound bites or these little <laughs> memes of fuck diet culture, eat what you want. And it's like, but wait a minute, what yeah. if you have diarrhea? <laughs> like right. and I think what you're saying is okay, we're gonna attend to that because there's a fuller story here, and that you're work with Matilda would be if one of her goals is to feel better, if one of her goals is to improve her digestive health, if one of her goals is to, I know you work with PCOS and Mm -hmm. and, and other kind of medical conditions, that there can be a space in nutrition work Mm -hmm. to address health-related matters. And I wonder if you could just say a little more about that, because I think this is where We lose the nuance when we're trying to, quote, fight diet culture, that we get a little, I think, sheepish around talking about how we could be both not investing in diet culture and also investing in our own, not just well-being, but genuine, like our own, even like gut health,
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I really appreciated that you mentioned that on social media or on podcasts, there could be sound bites. And I bet if you go through my Instagram and you listen to any interview I've ever done, you will find things that I've said. And I would, if I could, I would footnote it like a million times and say, but this or this. And so there's just not space for nuance. I'm even thinking in like curating content. Sometimes shorter posts do really well because they grab attention. And yeah, like there's there are a lot of things that go into making that post that don't necessarily leave room for nuance. And that's the difference between learning from social media and having individualized care. And so there's no way that social media can offer something specific to Matilda that considers like her upbringing, her family life, her gut health and whatever else is going on. Also how she's feeling about her body. And that's the importance of having a team that's able to go there with you. Um, And I think like where it gets messy and murky is I always try to ask my clients, like, how do you want health to fit into this? Like, I know you want to feel good. And I'm hearing that you're not feeling good, say, if you're like eating past fullness or you're not eating enough. And I also know that society sometimes pushes like the health concern trolling in a really fat phobic way. So how do you want it to fit into this? And sometimes I'll ask clients, like if you can maybe map out, like what does health look like for you? Or how would you define it if you were to rewrite the dictionary definition? I really appreciate that because I don't think there's an exact way for it to look for each person. And, you know, like for some folks, they might have a lot of trauma in their relationship with food and there might be certain things or certain foods that could support their health, but that don't feel good for them to eat because of what happens psychologically. And yeah, that's where I think it is really nuanced and messy. And so I, I try to let it, let it be very client led. And I also like to remind folks that, you know, If you're not feeling good, like if you're really coming to me because you're not feeling good in your body, then let's try to change something up. If Matilda is not feeling happy with how things are going, you know, it sounds like it's not really invoking that warm, fuzzy feeling that she's feeling when watching the TikToks or on Instagram or listening to the podcasts. It also sounds like it's not the example that she wants to set for her children, which is a huge motivator, it sounds like. So I know that's kind of like an all over the place answer. I don't know if it answers it, but...
0: It you know. does. I mean, it it makes me want to thicken the plot a little bit and suppose that one of the additional pieces that Matilda is reckoning with, let's say, is that she is being told by her doctor that she's pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. yeah. And... Again, I really want to give Matilda credit for being so on it, right? Because she's really learned a lot through social media and podcasts. Yeah. To know that just because she has some spooky blood sugar readings, it doesn't necessarily mean she has to go do some diet, right? Why Mm -hmm. she's coming to me and why she's going to you. Mm -hmm. But let's say that there is something funky with her labs, right? So she's got the gut health piece in that she's not feeling good inside in that way. Mm -hmm. But also there is a little concern coming at her from the doctor about blood sugar irregularities and that her doctor, let's say, no surprise, suggests she lose weight. Mm -hmm. But again, she's, she's a smart lady. So she's come to the body positive team, right?
1: Yes. So I'm going
0: to throw that to you and say, how would we be thinking about this any differently, if at all differently with that information in mind?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. This is a really great, great question and common experience for folks. So I would tell Matilda, you know, Matilda, let's explore this from a really curious place. And just look. let's look at it, it is neutral of um, an outlook as we can and know, okay, we have some information from Zoe, from your work with Zoe, we have some information from your doctor. And so we also know how you were eating before. So I wonder what would happen to your blood sugar if you make this change and you eat more regularly, how that stability in eating might help your pancreas, might help your body do what it wants to do. Um, just to bring your blood sugar down a bit. And it, it, this might not bring it down a whole lot, or it might have a huge change. But I imagine that if we go down this diet route that your doctor is recommending, you know from your own personal history, it's probably not going to bring you to a great place in your relationship with food. And so that's where I would encourage Matilda to be curious, to explore eating with some consistency. Then in a couple of months, having these labs checked again, and if that's not enough, then we explore other options. There are lots of other ways to help manage it. Also, to talk to the doctor about advocating for how the doctor might better support Matilda by not pushing weight loss. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I I completely agree with you that when there's a do- diagnosis thrown in, it can sometimes make people feel powerless, and people can feel like, oh gosh, well does intuitive eating mean that I can't really focus on my health with food? And that's not the case at all. And it's really important that we don't sort of jump to what diet culture tells us to do and might say like, oh, you can never have this, your favorite food again. And that's not at all the case.
0: Yeah. So if we're working from this starting point of understanding that regular eating is a skill that we need to help Matilda build and she's down to build it, And she's coming with barriers, right? Because I think that can happen a lot, especially with busy people and with kids. And if she's coming to us and saying, I really, I get it intellectually. Like I know I need to, you know, I've worked it out with Kimmy. I've got these sort of structured time ranges, but I'm not always hitting it. Before we move her through regular eating, what might you be telling her to give a try in terms of strategies to kind of help her stay with the regular eating?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is where and I've said it a couple of times, but like trying to gather information. So do we see some patterns that maybe snacking is harder than meals? Do we see a pattern that like breakfast is the hardest, hardest meal of the day? And so that's where, once again, going back to it's super individualized. So sometimes, like I mentioned before, like having alarms can be helpful. If a meal just is not working out, like, is there a way we can make the next snack a bit more of a meal, even if it's at a more non-traditional time and maybe turn that other meal into more of a snack and see what happens? Because I think that's even where like the philosophy of a harm reduction approach can come in. I'm less concerned with making this a perfect, I don't know. I just think of this trope around like a nuclear family having these specific meals each time during the day. And I'm not really concerned in doing that. I'm more concerned in how to build consistency. So I, I don't want Matilda to like flip her schedule upside down to fit my idea of what it should look like for regular eating. That's where I it's, I think it's important for my role to be more flexible in trying to strategize and how to make it work for Matilda's life. Um, sometimes it can be helpful. It sounds like Matilda has children. So Mm -hmm. maybe like working it with eating with children or making or changing it. So the foods available might be more of convenience foods, right? That require less prep to examine maybe how perfectionism is, is coming in. Does Matilda feel guilty having processed food? That's definitely a really common theme. Um, does peanut butter and jelly feel like a, a more accessible lunch than like, I don't know, making some like elaborate bowl. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like some fancy bowl with like a little drizzle. Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> but know. like you don't always have time. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like outside of being flexible with um the timings and how meals look, and then also like battling the perfectionism. Yeah, like sometimes there is some deeper work too. So I might refer back to you. I might say, hey, Zoe's like we're kind of hitting a wall. It seems like adding some structure and isn't working. What's coming up for you in session? And what would you how would you respond to that?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I would I would love the question. And I would really start by validating how hard this sort of the functional aspect of this can be. Because I think there's a common misconception that Oh, regular eating, I I should be able to do that. And I also see a tremendous amount of challenge getting it started because for barriers that are more food related, like you're saying, peanut butter and jelly is such a great idea. Mm -hmm. That could be a really accessible way to make sure that you have that snack or you have part of that meal. But if you can't quite imagine feeding yourself a peanut butter and jelly or something like that, then you've got so much material to work on in a session, right? To mm-hmm. really understand where are those perfectionistic things coming in? Like, what did you think lunch needed to look like, right? So, but if it's not so much that, or if it's not exclusively that, a lot of people do have difficulty caring for themselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have different parts of them that are kind of internally saying to them, you don't deserve this or you don't deserve 20 minutes of uninterrupted time so that you can make a granola parfait for yourself. And some people didn't have that kind of nurturing growing up. Like they genuinely don't know what that feels like, what that looks like to have someone take care of them and nourish them in that way. And so sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with the food. Um, Mm -hmm. There could genuinely be some difficulty that person's having, caring for themselves and prioritizing themselves and giving themselves time and space, independent of any kind of notions they have that they picked up from diet culture. Mm -hmm. And so I would really want to make space and, and that's where you can start to see how a kind of therapy process could unfold where we try to understand, like, what's that part of you inside that is saying, I don't need to give myself this time, or I shouldn't need to give myself this time, or that if I do, it means something like I'm not being productive, or I'm not, I'm wasting time, or, you know, and you can see how this could go into so many different directions. And for Matilda, I'm going to imagine that, there's something about prioritizing her needs that it, it's hard for her to see how she could both take care of herself and also take care of somebody else. That mm-hmm. it, it there's something going on there that now maybe she's curious about, right? Why is it that she feels like if she takes that 20 minutes to make herself, let's say, the thing that she can access now because you helped her see that a peanut butter jelly's mm-hmm. fine what is it that comes up for her when she's doing that and she has to ask her partner to mm-hmm. watch the kids for 20 minutes. Oh and yeah. That can really bring up so many interesting things about what it means to ask for help, mm-hmm. what it means to put yourself first and where does all that difficulty come from and we get to be really curious and make a lot of space for that in our sessions.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, so we yeah, I feel like everything you said it resonates with me first on so many levels, because I feel like with many of my clients, especially like women and femmes, like that are parents, like there's this really common experience of feeling like. They need to constantly be on call and just sort of be ready to help everyone else except for themselves. And you know, like when is it a time to be on call for yourself, right? To meet your needs. And I I think when it comes to asking a partner for help or asking a partner to maybe step in and do like what's really also their job to do, so they can prioritize taking care of them and being really kind to themselves. It's something I see over and over again. And I, yeah, what a what an important way to look at it.
0: I want to really highlight that that discovery is sort of early stages of this work because then you you have to give as much time and space as you possibly can to kind of healing that part of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so hopefully between these two sessions, like you're getting that kind of slower paced work around why is it this way? And what is so hard, right? What's the part of me that's saying, don't do it. Don't ask for help. It's it's not going to go well. You're not a good person if you do, who knows what's going on in there. And simultaneously working to get that regular eating going as, as well as possible so that then there's an opportunity to actually start some of this hunger fullness work. Yes. And I wonder if we can imagine that Matilda is sort of working through some of these barriers and is, is finally starting to eat more regularly. And let's say this doesn't always happen, but let's say that some of the quote overeating is actually light shifting because she is eating more consistently throughout the day. But let's say there's still this nighttime eating where she is eating regularly but at night there, there are these sort of times where she's tired and she really should go to bed, but like, she's just sort of snacking and, and there's something pleasurable about it, but it's also kind of a little uncomfortable. So I'm kind of painting where she's at. And I wonder how would you help her kind of start this hunger, fullness, appetite, awareness mm-hmm. journey?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I appreciate that you have mentioned the nighttime eating because I see it. Time and time again, especially in folks that might, that during the day it can feel like they're on all day, whether it's for work or taking care of kids or both. And then at night, it can feel like the only time that they have this release and this special time. So that's where, like, first making sure that they are eating enough at night. And also exploring what that time means to them. So it sounds like it might be maybe even less about food, but more of it feels like a time that they can really um, maybe either disconnect in a way that's intentional. I wonder how bringing in some other sensory experiences um, into this might help. Like they want to maybe like, I don't know, soak their feet or have a nice bath and not really, I, I wouldn't recommend that they focus on taking the food away at that time, but maybe adding to it to see what it feels like to bring some embodiment to this time. Because sometimes if they're eating in a way that feels really disconnected afterwards, they might feel really unwell. They might not sleep as great. And I wonder how doing something soothing, whether it's like enjoying a nice cup of tea or yeah, I don't know, like the, the list can go on forever, <laughs> but another mm-hmm. gentle form of self-care might add to this nighttime experience and also might bring some gentleness to a time that they feel so much shame around food. Um, Cause I find that whether it's literally at night or a different time The times around food that are hardest to work through are usually the times that people feel the most shame and disconnection around. Yeah,
0: and I'm thinking too about how if we're thinking about nighttime eating, we're also very tired. And when we're tired, our vulnerability is increased anyway. So Mm -hmm. any kind of behavior that we have shame about, we're going to feel even more of it, even more of the shame if we're in that sleepy, vulnerable spot. I love the suggestion of adding because I think a lot of people have this, I have to stop this behavior. I have to stop this behavior. And I I love that Matilda would be hearing from you. No, you don't have to stop, but let's maybe add. And I love that you're saying, An embodied self-care act or an embodied self-soothing because there is something soothing about eating, Mm -hmm. but it is a little disembodied in that way. If you're eating in a way that is past fullness and is mindless, or all these things that your practice, my practice, we are going to make sure nobody's feeling shame. Mm -hmm. That we're not going to say there's anything wrong with that because there's a survival skill at play there, right? That's some kind of really important coping strategy, but Mm -hmm. you're saying keep it and let's add as opposed to let's get rid of that and replace it because this is a very different way of looking at it.
1: Exactly. It goes back to that original question of like, well, how is this any different from a diet? And so much of this work, whether it's around Working through nighttime eating or working through, like, um, maybe digestive health or blood sugar management. There are so many behaviors and foods and things to try to add to it rather than to take away. And I feel like coming at it from a place of abundance is what makes it very different from dieting. Totally. Abundance
0: and creating that experience of abundance. So, help us understand a little bit more concretely how you get into the the kind of appetite awareness conversation. If Matilda is now eating with regularity, she's got a foundation, let's say, to start really asking these questions or at least getting some meaningful data. So how would you help her start to get curious about where she is on that hunger meter? And like, how do you get that conversation started?
1: Oh my gosh! So many there's so many ways. I I feel like that one of my favorite questions is to ask clients like, "Where are you feeling right now on the hunger and fullness scale? Like on a one to ten um, rating between like feeling ravenous or feeling really past full." And that's where it's really beautiful to watch over time how people are able to sort of just feel a bit more confident in their answer because I feel like the first time I ask someone. They're kind of like, um, I don't know, I'm maybe hungry, I'm maybe full. And then a lot of times they'll sort of bypass whatever they're feeling in their body. And they'll just say, oh, well, I ate two hours ago, so I'm probably neutral. And so that's where whenever they say that, I'm like, okay, well... If we're not looking at any other information outside of how you're feeling in your body, how would you answer that? So, I I really appreciate using that tool. If somebody is feeling a bit disconnected from those cues, that's where I would bring in like, what are some ways that you feel a bit more connected to your body? Like, are there meals that you feel a bit more present while eating them? Like, it sounds like for Matilda, she feels guilty about eating ice cream. It sounds like these pints of ice cream. And so I probably wouldn't jump to let's explore hunger and fullness while eating a pint of ice cream. It might be when she's um, having avocado toast in the morning and her kids are still asleep or something like that. And so um, how would you feel before the meal, during the meal, after the meal? How would it feel to stop halfway through just to check in with how you're feeling from a curious place and gathering information? And if you're not able to tell how you're feeling hunger and fullness-wise. What can you notice? Can you notice how your body feels in your chair? Can you notice the taste of that avocado on that bread and maybe a little egg in your mouth? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you hear? And so trying to bring some awareness into the five senses and going, what's going on in Matilda's body during meals can help folks just to feel a bit more tapped into what's going on and also it can it can just bring up, um, a bit more of safety to eating. Cause I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too. When some, whenever someone has a lifelong history of either eating disorder or dieting, they're so used to feeling like they're maybe either like really disconnected during meals or kind of in this scarcity place where they need to scarf down something out of restriction. And yeah, so there are a lot of ways to go about it. But yeah. starting with baby steps to get more connected is a great place.
0: And it's also, again, it's a reminder of how important it is to access an ongoing support like this an individualized support because what you were describing kimmy this is a, a conversation you know this is not like a, a checklist that you can download on the internet or a even this episode i think if anything i hope that anyone's listening and saying and, hear, and saying to themselves I want to be able to have a conversation like that with someone that they can reach out to us. And if we can't help, we can connect them to the right people that can, because this is so dynamic. And what you're describing, I just noticed my own kind of energy change when you were almost inviting us all to think about, the way like the egg feels in your mouth, right? Like the way the avocado and the bread, like, especially if you're having trouble identifying the hunger fullness, that sort of, you know, I'm touching my abdomen, like in this part of our bodies, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can start with whatever we have access to. And you're also demonstrating a little bit of mindfulness, right? And a lot of people Mm -hmm. say, oh, I want to do mindful eating. It's like, what does that even mean, right? It's not like you can't do mindful eating. Like you have to start, this way with increasing your awareness and starting right getting connected to where you are in the process I Mm -hmm. think all all the time our expectations up for ourselves are too high
1: yes oh my gosh absolutely and I I feel like that's where yeah bringing it back to what you mentioned before you're not going to get this from social media or from this podcast episode a lot what I appreciate about what we discussed today is I feel like we hit on where people are at such different places in in the same journey. So I feel like in today, we probably worked through at least a few months of working with Matilda. (laughs) So this this isn't all just like the first two weeks or anything. Like to even for Matilda to get to a place where she's feeling safe enough at mealtime to notice how things are tasting and to bring mindfulness in. That's not gonna happen the same week that Matilda is starting to have like regular meals each day. So it's a gradual process. And I feel like the beauty of us working together is, I know for me, like as we're exploring food stuff, usually I, what I would tell Matilda is, you know, bring this to session with Zoe because Zoe's going to be able to go deep with this. And it's <laughs> it's beautiful to watch how the two can go together that way.
0: Absolutely. And similarly, I might notice something coming up in the session where there is something specifically about a meal, right? Like, or a a challenge or a target that we want to focus on. And I might say, okay, bring this to Kimmy, like bring that sort of time of the day eating to Kimmy and talk about kind of how to increase your uh, attunement to your body in that moment with that particular meal and Mm -hmm. troubleshoot with Kimmy in terms of like what that, I don't want to say meal plan, but what that meal structure optimally will look like right now. And then Kimmy and you and Kimmy will continue to adjust that over time. And there is something I think so nice for people about being held by a team. Mm -hmm. And the, the last thing I'll say about this is you don't have to have a full blown acute eating disorder to benefit from care like this and certainly deserve care like this, because this is not healing that necessarily can be done alone. And so I know we didn't, you know, we we only brought Matilda to where she is in this journey, but my sense is we got her to the point over these months, right. That we condensed mm-hmm. into 30 minutes where she's exploring, right. And that she and I can talk about some of her kind of body preoccupation and some of the way in which these eating changes are concerning her about what's going to happen to her body. And we can talk about sort of her body story and the origin of her body image injuries and and that this is going to be happening alongside the guidance she's getting from you around how to almost, I don't know if you're going to like this, but like almost relearn how to
1: eat. No, yeah, absolutely. It's, I, yes, that's a great description for it. And I, I always bring into session that, you know what, it really is reparenting. And that same gentle parenting voice that Matilda probably has with her children, it's also something she can bring to herself when she's finding rigidity um, around her relationship with food.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, is there anything we, I mean, we, we could keep going, but a mindful mm-hmm. time, like, do you feel like there's anything you want to sum up about Matilda, where she is, or maybe where you hope she'll go from here?
1: Oh my gosh. My hope for Matilda is that our work together will help her trust herself more. And so I feel like by us creating that safe support system, we also encourage her to be her own safe support system and trust herself. I feel like that's kind of where the journey goes next.
0: Thank you for listening to the Full Bloom Podcast. For more body positive nurturing content and conversation, you can find me on Instagram at Full Bloom Project. Special thanks to Davis Lloyd, Christina Regal, and all of you who helped support the Full Bloom Project by rating, reviewing, and sharing these episodes. See you next time.